question. Has anybody been stuck in the mud? Like, really stuck in the mud? Like, you know, if you, if you, if you have your truck and you're out and you need to get a friend with tractor to pull you out, something like that. Or, or I was doing a, a, a Spartan. I had the opportunity to do two Spartans with my daughter Morgan. One of them was like this. It was 158 degrees and hadn't rained for seven weeks. But the other one was in October and it was 48 degrees and raining. And there were a couple times where I got in the mud. I mean, like up to, you know, like here. So bad that I could not get out of the mud myself. I had to have someone reach in and grab me and bring me out of the mud. And I was very concerned that I left my sneaker back in the mud because I couldn't tell because at the bottom of my foot was just this blob of mud. There was nothing left. And it's mud so deep that you can't get out of it yourself. You need someone to come pull you out. And sometimes the reality is, church, we get stuck in the spiritual mud. And we need someone, our Heavenly Father, to deliver us, to pull us out. And that is exactly what David is going to tell us about today. So Psalm 40, last week uh, we were in Psalm 39. Uh, much like Psalm 38, David was feeling the effects of unresolved sin, particularly in the words we use, and especially when others are in earshot, he reminded us and encouraged us. David also gave us a great model for prayer. Ultimately, to call on your heavenly Father, we said, instead of complaining to others. And this week, we see another one of David's psalms. But this one's in two parts. The first is focused on the faithfulness of God. And the second part, that he still needs God to deliver him. And how that all works for the benefits of others. Look again with me at Psalm 40, in verse 1. I waited patiently for the Lord. He inclined to me and heard my cry. He drew me up from the pit of destruction out of the miry bog and set my feet upon a rock, making my steps secure. He put a new song in my mouth, a song of praise to our God. Many will see and fear and put their trust in the Lord. First, David gives testimony to the faithfulness of God in the past. In fact, I think it's safe that we can say that what David is actually doing, remember Psalm 38 and 39, he was wallowing in the consequences of sin, and he was wallowing in the judgment of God. And I think it's safe exegetical ground to say, Psalm 40, he starts off and says, guess what? God answered me. Guess what? God delivered me. He was broken by his sin. He was overcome with grief by his sin. In the last two Psalms, he was begging God to listen to him. And he says, God did. God listened to me. God heard my cry. God rescued me. God reached down and pulled me out of the mud. Verse 1 tells us that he waited patiently for the Lord. Some of you are already out. Forget it. I don't wait, and if I do have to wait, I certainly don't wait patiently. So, not me. And we get that, right? We're Americans. We feel it in our bones. We're also from New Jersey. So, there's, there's double not waiting happening. We, we want it, and we want it now. There's no such thing as waiting patiently. But that's what David says. And David says, no, God, in his time delivered me. 
We don't know how long he was stuck in Psalm 38 and Psalm 39. We don't know how long he wallowed in the muck and the mire, but God did, in his time, deliver him. In the miry bog, in, in verse 1 or verse 2, CSB says muddy clay. NET translation says slimy mud. And again, we get that idea of, of this disgusting kind of mud. You know that mud that kind of smells swampy and stuff, right? Because when you're stuck in the mud that bad, again, you can't rescue yourself. And that's what God did for David. And he set his feet upon a rock. He took him out of the sinking mud, took him out of that, cleaned him off, and put him on a rock where his feet are steadfast and no longer sinking. Verse 3 tells us that God put a new song in his mouth. He restored him. Remember David asked for God last week to restore my joy. And he did that. David says, I feel like singing again. I feel like praising the Lord again. You've restored my joy. And he says that many will hear me singing and praising the Lord. And they will also praise God for his faithfulness. After this, and David goes on to gush about how faithful God is. Look at verse 4. Blessed is the man who trusts or makes the Lord his trust, who does not turn to the proud, to those who go after a lie. You have multiplied, O Lord, my God, your wondrous deeds and your thoughts towards us. None can compare with you. I will proclaim and tell of them, yet they are more than could be told. In sacrifice and an offering you've not delighted, but you have given me an open ear. Burnt offering and sin offering you have not required. Then I said, Behold, I have come. In the scroll of the book it is written in me, I delight to do your will, O my God, and your law is within my heart. David exclaims, Blessed, or maybe better, happy is the man who makes God his trust. Instead of what? Instead of turning to others for deliverance. Like who? Like the proud. David says that. The proud who go astray after a lie. Maybe you've experienced the difference, the disparity, hopefully there is one, between when you ask your non-Christian friends for advice and then when you ask your your Christian friends for advice. Usually they're very different. It reminds me of, of Psalm 1. And David says there again, Blessed is the man who doesn't walk in the counsel of the wicked nor stand in the way of sinners, nor sits in the seat of scoffers, but his delight is in what? The law of the Lord. And on his law, he meditates day and night. This means that as we we seek counsel from others, we need to remember who we're seeking counsel from. We, we, We have counsel that's not centered, not coming from a biblical worldview that should stand out to us. And I think we've all heard it. We, we share something with someone who maybe doesn't share a biblical worldview, and we get all kinds of advice. You know, you know what you need? You need a vacation. That's what you need. You know, you know what you need? I got this great YouTube video of this motivational speaker, self-help guy. His name's Joel something. Sorry. And some of you get that on the way home. And that's what you need. You just need to focus on yourself for a while. You need to work on you. You need to do you right now. You need to do whatever you need to do to be happy. You know, you know what you need? You just need to blow off steam. You need to go out. You need to party. You need to tie one on. You need to hook up. That's what you need to do. Then everything will be fabulous. That's what you need to do. You know, maybe just treat yourself. You know, go, go 
buy that new truck, go buy that new boat, go shop. That's not what we need, church. And a biblical worldview wouldn't say that. That's what David says. I don't go to those people. I don't go to the proud. I go to those who have a biblical, God-centered worldview, who follow your law. And he says, God's thoughts to us, to his children, are nothing but goodness to us. You think about the reality of God's thoughts. He's multiplying the goodness, he says, to us. You've multiplied, verse 5, you've multiplied, O Lord your God, your wondrous deeds and your thoughts to us. You ever stop and think? I often ask people that. What do you think God thinks of you? And that usually makes them, usually makes their brain hurt. We're a child of God. If we are a believer in Jesus Christ, if we've been adopted into his family, he only has good thoughts towards us. Everything that he's doing is working for our good, our holiness, our growth. Why? Through Jesus Christ. That's why. Because he sees us through Jesus Christ. He goes on to say that you've not desired these, these sacrifices which could confuse us for a little bit. Burn offering and sin offering you've not required. David's not actually saying that he's not actually doing away with the old covenant system. What he's doing is those things are still required. What he's saying is in the way that we bring them, right? Our hearts need to be engaged in worship. That was God's whole problem with Israel. If you read any of the big prophets, you see that. Isaiah, Jeremiah, all that stuff. They tell him, guess what? Save it. Don't bring your bulls. Don't bring your goats. Your songs make me want to throw up. I hate your church assemblies. I hate This is what I want. I want your hearts. So don't bother playing church and giving me all the sacrifices and giving me all that stuff from your time if your heart is not in it. David says, my heart needs to be aligned with the Lord. Otherwise, I'm not gonna, he's not gonna he's not gonna ask of me sacrifices if my heart is not aligned. Through God's judgment of David's sin, God has made him realize this. There's a really cool little Hebrew play on words um, in verse six. It says, You've given me an open ear. It literally says in the Hebrew that you've dug a hole in my head. You've opened my ear. You've given me the understanding. This is what I see. I get it now. I understand this. And through God's judgment of sin, he's made him realize. He gave him ears to hear it. He understood that if we are hiding sin in our hearts, our hearts are not completely devoted to God. Keep your religious activities, he says. The ultimate example of this is the future son of David, the Messiah. Jesus, or sorry, David points to that in verses 7 and 8 talking about the Messiah to come. He says, behold, I have come, the one who will come. In the scroll of the book that is written in me, I delight to do your will. Oh my God, your law is within my heart. There was no one who did God's law more perfectly than Jesus Christ. It's a messianic prophecy that's nestled in the midst of all this, and it's quoted actually in Hebrews 10. We're not going to go there right now, but in care group or at home, check that out. You'll see that the author of Hebrews quotes Psalm 40 and says this is about Jesus. It's a little, a little bonus messianic prophecy tucked away in there. David tells us that the future Messiah will delight to do God's will, and he'll do it perfectly. And David has learned that through his sin, we actually learn things through our sin, that's the point. Through his sin, he's learned that God values a heart that is truly engaged. And so David has learned all these valuable lessons, but here's really 
the gist of this first part. Does David keep it to himself? Absolutely not. Look at verse 9. I have told the glad news of deliverance in the great congregation. Behold, I have not restrained my lips, as you know, O Lord. I have not hidden your deliverance within my heart. I have spoken of your faithfulness and your salvation. I have not concealed your steadfast love and your faithfulness from the great congregation. And David says that he has told the great news. He's given testimony to what God has done in his heart. He says, God has delivered me, and I'm going to tell people about that. And where does he do it? He does it at church. He does it in the great congregation, in worship. He tells people about it. He has spoken of God's faithfulness. It says he has not hidden God's deliverance. He's spoken, he's opened his mouth, and he's given testimony to God's salvation. He's not concealed his steadfast love. He's not concealed his faithfulness. God has brought him out of the mud, and he's telling people about it. He tells everyone all about it. At church, at Bible study, at care group, he tells them all. So here's the takeaway. When God delivers us, we need to testify to others. When God delivers us, we need to testify to others. David powerfully does this. God heard his cry. He rescued him from the muck and the mire. He pulled him out and he set his feet on firm ground. He restored his joy because David trusted in the Lord instead of the proud. Maybe not right away. Maybe not in the timing that David wanted. Who knows how long he was in Psalm 38 and Psalm 39 before he got to Psalm 40. We don't know that. But David learned valuable lessons while he was in the valley. One of them being that when we're stuck in sin, God doesn't want our empty obedience. God wants our hearts back. God wants us to restore our relationship with him. He wants us, like Jesus the Messiah, to delight in doing good. And David is overjoyed that God has taught him all this, forgiven his sin and restored his joy. David has been delivered and he's telling everyone about it, he says. How about us? When God does something for us, do we share that? Do we open our mouths and say that, yeah, I was in the mud, I was stuck, and God pulled me out. Here's what God did for me. What stops us from doing that? Perhaps it's this. Perhaps it's a bit of a misguided self-focus. A misguided self-focus is one that's not spiritually healthy, especially as it relates to you guys, especially as it relates to us in the community of God. A misguided self-focus maybe is a little bit too self-protective. I can't let people know that I was actually stuck in the mud and that God delivered me because then they'll know that I was stuck in the mud. I can't let people know that I'm struggling with this sin and that God delivered me from this sin because then they're going to know that I was struggling with this sin. I can't do that. Everybody else in church is perfect. It must be just me. No, that's not true, by the way. Maybe we're too worried about what other people will think about us if we give testimony to God about how he rescued us from ourselves. That's not a healthy view of self, but what is a healthy view of self? Just to balance that a little bit, 
I thought of 2 Corinthians chapter 13, verses 5 and 6, where Paul says this, Examine yourselves to see whether you are in the faith. Test yourselves. Or you do not realize this about yourselves, that Jesus Christ is in you, unless you fail to meet the test. I hope that you will find out that you have not failed, or that we have not failed the test. Paul challenges us. He says, you think you're in Christ? You think you're struggling? Examine yourself. Test yourself. That's a good self-focus. That's a biblical self-focus. Where am I growing? Where's the fruit? Where am I struggling with sin? Where am I not doing so well? What do I have to do about that? How am I maturing as a disciple in Jesus Christ? If we just kind of keep this little facade over ourselves and we don't share what God's doing in our lives, we're not really admitting and confessing sin then, aren't we? David's not hiding his sin. David's giving great testimony to the fact that he was in great sin and he had a great Savior that rescued him from the muck and the mire. He tells others about it. And church, we need to let others in so that others can actually rejoice at what God has done in our lives. We need to be a little bit vulnerable and transparent so that people can what? Can hear what we've said. They can hear and see what God has done for us. And they cannot praise us, but they can then praise God. It's contributing to the joy of others. It's contributing to the growth of, of the congregation. And one dangerous side effect of, of the misguided self-focus is that we drift then into a, God de- or a self-dependent life instead of a God-dependent life. If we just are constantly thinking, well, I, I must not be struggling, or I'm not going to let people in on my struggling, or I don't even need to tell God about this. We're depending on ourselves, church. We're not supposed to be doing that. We didn't lift ourselves out of the muck and the mire. You'd been there all day if God didn't drag you out. And when God delivers us, we need to testify to others. But as you might expect, this is not a one-time thing. I hate to tell you this, but you're probably going to get back in the mud again. We're going to need God's deliverance over and over again. And David's about to get us there. Look at verse 11. Back in my windblown Bible of Psalm 40. Verse 11. As for you, O Lord, you will not restrain your mercy from me. Your steadfast love and your faithfulness will ever preserve me. For evils have encompassed me beyond number. My iniquities have overtaken me, and I cannot see. They are more than the hairs of my head, and my heart fails within me. Be pleased, O Lord, to deliver me. O Lord, make haste to help me. Let those be put to shame and disappointed altogether who seek to snatch away my life. Let those be turned back and brought to dishonor who delight in my hurt. Let those be appalled because of their shame who say to me, Aha! Aha! We got him! He sinned! We caught him. And David says to the Lord, You've delivered me, and I've testified about it to your people. But as for you, O Lord, you're going to continue to deliver me. I need you to continue to deliver me. Don't restrain from showing me your mercy, your steadfast love again and again in the future. And David expresses his confidence in the Lord that his steadfast love and his faithfulness will not leave him. He will continue to preserve him. And in fact, it seems like David is right back in the muck and the mire. Verse 12 tells us that evils have encompassed him beyond number. And once again, he says his sin and his iniquities 
have overwhelmed him so much that he can't see. They are more than the hairs on his head. His heart is failing. David gets out of the muck and the mire, and he doesn't even get out of Psalm 40 because now he's back in the muck and the mire. That was a great little testimony to God. Thank you for rescuing me from the muck and the mire, but now I'm back in the muck and the mire. But what is David's attitude this time? He says, I know your faithfulness is there. I know you will rescue me. I know. David once again calls out to God. God, deliver me, he says. He says, hurry up and help me. Let my enemies be put to shame. Those who want to see me go down. Those who mock me. David is right back in it and right back in the mud. But he's fighting hard. He knows God is faithful and he will not release his hope. He brings himself back to God. He knows God has delivered him in the past and he knows the way home. He knows the joy that can only be found by seeking God in the midst of adversity. Look at verse 16. And he wants to spread that, but may all who seek you rejoice and be glad in you. May those who love your salvation say continually, great is the Lord. As for me, I am poor and needy, but the Lord, he takes thought for me. You are my help and my deliverer. Do not delay, O oh my God. David's desire is that anyone who is stuck in the muck and the mire would see this, would seek God, they would rejoice and be glad in him. That those who love the salvation of God, that God would watch continually over them and that they would say one day, great is the Lord and great is his salvation. But for David, he's still in it. He's still in the muck and the mire. He says, he says what's this contrast? You have verse 11, he says, As for you, O Lord, I know that you are faithful. Look at verse 17, that says, But me, as for me, I'm poor and needy. See how that works? That's a good relationship. I'm poor and needy, and you are faithful and full of steadfast love. That's how David says that works. He's going to continue to trust in him. David considers God his help and his deliverer still, even when he's back in the mud. And I'll say it this way, when we're in the mud, continue to call on God for deliverance. When we are in the mud, continue to call on God for deliverance. Maybe you're here today and you are stuck in the mud. Welcome. Maybe you're here today and you just got pulled out of the mud. Welcome. Maybe you're here today and you're like, I don't really see any mud. Welcome. Things are going well, but remember, there's mud coming, maybe around the corner. That one conflict with a friend or that season of parenting that's taking a turn for the worse or the bad diagnosis from the doctor or the health problems that you thought you were getting with, but you don't. Maybe you made a sinful choice and now you have to walk through it all. For whatever reason and a host more reasons, you find yourself back in the mud. When we're in the mud, church, be like David. Continue to call on the name of the Lord for deliverance. And once God delivers us, rejoice, testify. Be on the lookout, though. Be ready. Be thinking. There's mud somewhere up ahead, and I'm ready. Be like David. As for you, Lord, I know your steadfast love will persevere. I know you will be faithful. That's not morbid. 
That's real life, right? That's why we call the series Worship in Real Life, because that's what the Psalms are about. They're the nitty-grittiness of life. Sometimes one of the hardest things about walking through trials and tribulations is just the shock of trials and tribulations. Why is this happening to me? Things are going wrong in my life. Things are going to go wrong in our lives. Peter talks about that. Don't be surprised when strange, when things, when trials come upon you like something strange is happening to you. Sin is alive and well. We need to expect it and we need to be ready for the consequences of it. And then we need to react with faithful trust in God. It reminds me of Psalm 116. In verses 12 through 14, David asks this, What shall I render to the Lord for all His benefits to me? He says, I will lift up the cup of salvation and I will call on the name of the Lord. I will pay my vows to the Lord in the presence of all His people. David says, what can I possibly give back to God for the way that He delivers me, for the way that He is faithful to me, for His goodness and His love? What can I possibly give back to God for all His goodness to me? He says, I'm going to keep going back to Him. I'm going to keep calling on Him. I'm going to keep asking Him to deliver me. I'm going to keep depending on Him. Why? Because I trust Him and that's what He wants me to do. When we are in the mud, the first thing we need to do is go find our Heavenly Father. Because he loves us and he's our deliverer. And he says, what am I going to do the next time I'm here? I'm going to do the same thing. Why? Because God is faithful. That's what he does. I think it's worth saying just for a moment that we should try to avoid mud if at all possible. Like if, it, if, it's, if it's within our free choice, you know, don't go jumping in the mud pile and saying, oh, God's going to deliver me. No, that's, that's really, really, really weird theology. Don't do that. But we're going to run into mud, and when we do, be quick to go to our Heavenly Father. Remember who He is. It shows that we continually trust Him. Just like a little kid. Who are they going to run to? They're going to run to mom and dad very fast. Run to your Heavenly Father. So where does this leave us? I'll try to sum it up this way. God has delivered us, and He will continue to. God has delivered us and will continue to. There are two realities to God's deliverance. And the first and the greatest one is what we just celebrated in the Lord's table. The first way of our deliverance is that we know that Jesus Christ came, that Jesus Christ died on the cross, and that Jesus Christ rose from the dead. And He delivered us from sin. That is the greatest deliverance that we have, and we know that. We know the power of the cross for those who have trusted him by faith. We know that. We can take the ultimate proof of God's deliverance that he will deliver anyone who calls on him in faith is the cross of Jesus Christ. And so if we wonder for a second, is God really faithful? Is God really a deliverer? Church, look at the cross. God is faithful. He is our deliverer. He has delivered us and he will continue to. So start there. But second, for those of us who are Christians, we can all testify to the subsequent, subsequent ways that God has delivered us. Those times where we were stuck in the mud and he did deliver us. He pulled us out. And when God delivers and when God does that, church, we need to testify to others yeah, it might make us look a little weak and sinful, but we're weak 
and sinful. Just like David says, as for me, I'm poor and needy. That's the way we're supposed to look. Why? Because we're casting our cares, our anxieties, our hopes for deliverance all on our perfect heavenly Father. When God delivers us, we need to testify to others. We also have to protect against more bad theology. We're saying that God isn't just going to protect us from the muck and the mire. Sometimes there is going to be muck in the mire ahead, and God's going to allow it. And God might let us wallow in the muck and the mire for a little bit so that we learn, so that we grow, so that we're convicted, so that we turn from our sin and a million other reasons. He uses the muck and the mire. He allows us to sit in it, but he allows us to sit in it just as long as we need it. It's his perfect duration. It's his perfect medicine that he gives us to grow us in holiness. And then he delivers us out of it and he will continue to. Church, the reality of mud is there. David doesn't even make it out of the psalm before he's back in another one. And he calls on the name of the Lord again. When we are in the mud, continue to call on God for deliverance. It might not be our timing. It might not be our liking. But we need to trust God to deliver us what is most in the way, rather, that is most for His glory and our holiness. And He is faithful to do that. Church, God has delivered us and He will continue to. Pray with me. Father, we are so thankful for who you are, your goodness, your grace, your love. We are thankful that, Lord, you don't abandon us to the mud and the muck and the mire. We are so thankful that you use all of that in so many ways as you pull us out to glorify yourself, to grow us, and also to give testimony to yourself so that others might see and rejoice as David has told us. We pray, Lord, that we would be vulnerable enough, transparent enough to share, to confess with others Yes, I was here. I was stuck. And the Lord delivered me. Great is the salvation of the Lord. Let us give praise and glory to him for who he is. We pray it in Jesus' name. Amen.